Well, if you've got your hand out with you, go ahead and get it out this morning. I put inside an insert that includes, uh, it starts at the top and just says, I have called you by name. I have called you by name. This is the first of our series, which I'm calling Face to Face Divine Encounters. And we're looking at the characters that Jesus interplayed with, the, the ones that he called to himself as disciples. We're going to spend the next eight, ten weeks just going through the various individuals that Jesus called to himself. And we're using this kind of cinemagraphic opportunity, I call it the cinemagraphic sermon series, called The Chosen. I asked last week how many of you had uh, viewed some of it. How many of you viewed that, some part or all? How many of you just saw it this, first, this last week for the first time? Okay, all right, good. That's what I want to do is spark some interest and some viewing, not because it's sacred, but because it's helpful. Not because it's sacred, but because it's helpful. We're very firm on the scriptures, the scripture, and nothing equates to the scripture. At the same time, when there's backstories that kind of maybe help us get into it a little bit, those can be helpful. We've got this phrase around here, where the scripture speaks, we speak, where the scripture's silent, we're silent, except for the fact that Jesus would love to and used often parables and he told stories and he gave backgrounds that kind of brought people into the truth. And so we're using, in some ways, the very characters of the scripture with a fictitious backstory, almost like a parable or like a, a story that we would use um, for that. So today, we're going to talk about a character that you may have never in your background ever heard a sermon about, Mary Magdalene. How many of you have ever heard a sermon about Mary Magdalene? Two or three? Okay, all right. <laughs> uh, she's a character that we don't know a ton about her pre-story, but we know quite a bit about her post Story. In other words, after she met Jesus, what her life was like and what God used her in. She's called Mary Magdalene because she's from Magdalena, Magdala. It's an area that uh, is off the, see, we'll, we'll, we'll show a map of it here in a, in a moment. And I want to um, zero in first on this passage from Isaiah where the title of this message comes from. It's one of the things they use in the backstory for her. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear. Where have you heard that one before? Some people say it, fear not, right? Okay. A whole series we just completed. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. The older version says, I have called you by name. I have called you by name. One of the key things that happens in the story is Jesus' use of the word Mary. Jesus' use of Mary of Magdalene and calling her by name. In uh, Magdala, it's a city on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. You can see the Sea of Galilee here. 
You can see Bethsaida, which was real popular. You can see Capernaum, which Jesus did quite a bit of his ministry there. And here is Magdala, right on the corner of the sea there. And it's interesting. It's kind of like if you were, you know, Bernie from North Dakota, or, you know, if you had some kind of a name, it was Mary Magdalene, Mary from Magdala. But at the same time, we're not sure because a lot of people had the, the um, term Magdala used because it was not a desirable place. It'd almost be like, you know how they, they say, what's done in Vegas stays in Vegas, or you know, maybe certain places are famous for immorality. And uh, th- this seemed to be a place where fishermen dropped in for the red light district, at least at times. And so it wasn't necessarily a glorified uh, name, something you would be proud of. But it seems like Mary gets it as a uh, nickname because in some ways she was redeemed from that. It's Mary from Magdala, formerly of Magdala, Mary Magdalene. Now, uh, in 2009, the um, Roman Catholics decided to build a retreat center at Magdala. So they started unearthing, and they found just under the surface a synagogue that had been buried at Magdala. And as they prepared to build around this, uh, you know, they, they called it, they, they, they turned it into an archaeological dig, and they, they actually found an inscription on, a, on some um, stone there that stated that Jesus of Nazareth had spoken at the synagogue at Magdala. So Jesus frequented this area, and um, we don't know how, when, or where he called uh, her to himself, but she was, in Scripture, talked about in this way. Now they've built a chapel there in Magdala, and they actually called it uh, Duke Entuam, which is Latin for put out into the deep. You know that story where Jesus tells Peter to go out into the deep to, uh, to fish. And so we've got this, this kind of historic background to Mary uh, Magdalene. And it's important to note, she's a true-to-life historic person. Okay? We know a few things about her, and we're going to learn even more as you go as we go. Um, this picture, you probably know from Vinci, and, and some people think that this is Mary Magdalene painted right into the picture of Jesus and the disciples. We have no, we know, in fact, Mary Magdalene is a pretty mysterious character in a lot of ways. So people have made up a lot of even fictitious things about her. How many of you ever saw the Da Vinci Code Okay, a few. All right. There was all kinds of uh, fabricated things about Mary Magdalene in that. Well, before Mary became a woman, she was a little girl. Isn't that true for all women? Yeah. So they kind of play this backstory of how Mary might have been introduced with that very scripture we just read from Isaiah 43.1, and how her father could have taught her 
scripture, the prophets, the prophets like Isaiah and the Torah. As, as this memory verse from scripture comes up, um, it will be something that they use in the movie to um, prompt her to not fear, but to trust and to hear in her name the fact that God is interested in calling all of us by name. Um, what do you do when you're afraid? What do you do when you're frightened? Her father's training her to look heavenward, to trust in God, to put your faith and your hope and your trust in the Lord. This is a, a clip that starts off the whole series and we'll have uh, an introduction to Mary Magdalene as a little girl. That's her father right there. for all of us to remember all the time, especially when we have things that we were, are fearful of in our lives. Do not fear. I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. But we don't know what happened to Mary Magdalene. We don't know what trauma she went through. But we know from the scriptures that she ended up being inhabited possessed by seven different demons, seven different demonic forces. A stronghold took root in her life. So the makers of this uh, video series kind of use the idea, which is likely that a Roman soldier, Rome had occupied all of those territories, all of those cities, including Magdala. And so they use this idea that a Roman soldier had sexually assaulted Mary. There's not a lot of detail about it, but we do know how often something traumatic like a sexual assault can lead to trauma, post-traumatic stress, etc. And in her case, we're not knowing the details, the likelihood is there 
that this evil spirit, these evil spirits took root in her life through this trauma or through trauma that happened to her. The Bible talks about it as evil spirits. And when we say that there's nothing much more evil than a sexual assault for someone. Now, be real clear, the scripture never says that sexual assault leads to demon possession. Okay, the scripture never says that in any of the gospels. But in our experience, aren't we clear that something as traumatic as that often leads to traumatic and and difficult circumstances for people, some of which we would say they were possessed, they were inhabited, they were um, dealt with with a strong hold, the scripture says. And um, they begin to believe lies, begin to believe lies about themselves. That's kind of how Satan works, especially when it comes to something like that. We believe not only that we've been assaulted, but that we earned it or deserved it, or there was a reason for it. I mean, I hear that a lot. Um, one of my favorite shows, an A&E series, you know, it's called Intervention. Have any of you have seen Intervention before? <laughs> People look at me as, you're so weird, Bruce. Why would you like a, you know, a series like Intervention? Well, I like Intervention partly because of the outcome of an intervention with someone, but they almost always go through the backstory. What led the person to the trauma, to the addiction, to what happened? Sometimes it's a a parental issue. Sometimes it's a divorce. Sometimes it's uh, a death in the family. It's various things. And I just love to connect. Why do people go down the paths that they do? It's not for no reason. It's not with an abandonment of reason. It's specifically because of reasons. And so that's what they've done in this story is present the idea that there are some reasons behind this possession. Um, But I want to say to you that I think part of Mary's key to, to understand Mary's life is as Jesus heals her, as Jesus deals with her, she becomes grateful. She becomes grateful. She becomes a changed life. And that's, the, uh, that, that's why she is grateful because God, through Jesus, intervenes in her life. When Jesus was dealing with people, they came to him and said, why are you hanging out with all of these lowlifes? Why are you spending time with these sinners, these publicans, these tax collectors? Why are you hanging out with those who none of us agree with or love and like in our, in our culture? Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor. Who is it? The sick, the sick. Jesus came to heal those who were broken. Jesus came to deal with those who admit that they have a need. In fact, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repent. That was the hallmark of who Jesus was and who he hung out with. That's why the Pharisees and the scribes and even the Sadducees, that's why they hated him so much, is because he hung out with those who they considered unclean, unlovable, and irredeemable. And yet Jesus drove into that. He spent time with them. He loved them. And he said, they're the ones that I've called to myself. 
So what do you do if you're a, if you have a demon possession in Magdala at the time of Christ? They called the rabbi of their day. We call him Nicodemus in this story. We're going to look at Nicodemus in detail down in March. Uh, we'll look at him in great detail. But in this portion, he shows up to do an exorcism. He's not successful, but uh, take a look at this as the rabbi tries. How long has she been like this? Like what? I'm trying to help her, Rivka. All you're going to do is mess this place up. Then what? You're going to stop by and help clean? The demons that torment her soul will turn your place to dust. Even if you care nothing for her soul, at least... Lilith never hurt anyone that didn't hurt her first. Mostly. She has these spells. We let her be and then she's as sweet as an angel again. Curse it all, Lil! You can put an end to this. I adjure you by the holy angels, Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, Uriel, and Raziel. I adjure you, cursed dragon, diabolical legions. Come out! I adjure you, spawn of Beelzebub, abandoned and Sheol by the utterance of all the watchers and the holy ones. In the name of Adonai, God of the heavens, cease to deceive this human creature. I command you, in covenant with Abraham, in the names of Jacob, Isaac, Moses, the all-powerful El Shaddai. Nicodemus runs away, unable to cast out the demons that are there, which he later makes a real contrast with how Jesus dealt with Mary and the healing that he brought 
to the picture. In fact, let's look at this uh, scripture next. If you've got your script, your Bible's out, Luke chapter 8, if you want to look at your outline there. This is the most powerful scripture about the change that took place in Mary Magdalene's life. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town to another village uh, and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. Listen to this. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Luke 8, 1 through 3. See, this woman had been changed. She'd been cured of evil spirits. She had seven demons cast out of her. Now, we don't know if the, how those demons manifested themselves, if one was shame, if one was brokenness, if one was sorrow. We don't know the, the details. Seven often is used in Scripture as the idea of completeness, that this woman was completely controlled by demonic forces, that there was no healthy spot in her. The seven idea at least conveys that potentially. She was possessed. She was obsessed. She was controlled. And there were strongholds in her life. But look what happens. The demons had come out of her. The demons were gone. And now, what was she doing? She was supporting the work of Jesus with her own means. This is the place where we learn the most about the results of demon um, encounter and the demonic possession being dealt with in her life. She was cured. Think of that word for a minute. Cured of evil spirits and diseases. She was freed. She was like that verse in Isaiah says, redeemed. And she was called by name. Well, how did that happen? We don't know all the details. We don't have a lot Figures, but probably she spun out even further than we saw so far. In fact, the movie, the uh, film series shows her in a state of uh, burying the problems. Any of you know of a culture that buries problems? In fact, she ends up in a bar. Does that ever happen in our culture? She wants to hide or bury the pain. She's using alcohol, our most famous drug in our culture, right? And in this bar scene, she is asking the bartender to help her. He says, I can't help you anymore. I can't help you anymore. What I've got for you is not for you. And this is the encounter with uh, Jesus, how he deals with deals with her. Do you know anybody that uh, would hide their problems with drugs and alcohol in our culture? I don't know about you, but what I'm hearing about this uh, pandemic is it has escalated people's dependency on drugs and alcohol. Jesus meets her in the midst of her 
brokenness. He meets her in the midst of the bar, in the middle of the pain and the spiritual stronghold dealing with her, the, the, the demons of her life, which are also the demons of our day. That's why he says, I've come to the sick, not the healthy. I've come to heal the brokenhearted. And I want to just say to any of us, any of you, any of us today, if you're here today and you're struggling, maybe you're feeling buried, maybe you're feeling like Mary Magdalene felt, he will come and he will do just what he did for her. He will deliver you. Today, we might have record numbers turning to drugs and alcohol to bury the pain, but Jesus wants to deliver every person. Don't hide in those. In fact, what he says to Mary, he says to us, that drink is not for you. That drug will not help you. Even the bartender says that. Now, she's using a name at this point in the story other than Mary. Even her identity as later to be known as, as Mary. She's using the name Lilith. Lilith is a word and a name that means bitter waters. Bitter waters. She's calling herself bitter waters instead of Mary. And nobody knows her as Mary. But as Jesus later is going to call her by name, he calls her by name in this uh, bar scene. And it sparks the thoughts of her childhood. It sparks the thoughts of what her father had taught her in Isaiah. Let's go to that next. I don't know what else I can do to help you. Give me that. Lots of it. That's not going to solve your problems. It's meant to distract from No more preaching. Just give it to me. Lilith, please listen to what I'm saying. Says the Lord who created you. 
powerful. Instead of uh, smoke and yelling, it's tenderness and love and calling her by name and using scripture to tenderly love her into health and wholeness. I love it, the fact that uh, the very first words of Jesus in this series are those words, that's not for you. Probably some pretty good words for all of us to note. There's certain things in life that are used by the evil one to hide, to uh, possess, and to cover. And he says, that's not for you. That's not for you. And then in the end of this encounter, encounter, as he quotes Isaiah 43, he says, you are mine. Think of the word possession. Possession. You're not here to be possessed by the evil one. He says, you're mine. I have come to possess you. I have come to love you to closeness with the heavenly father. That's why she was so grateful. That's why she used her life in a powerful way to be a blessing to others as well. Let's talk a little further about Mary Magdalene's life, the fruit of this exorcism, the fruit of casting out these demons that are in her, these words of Jesus, you are mine. And... um, what he calls us to. So this this grateful heart, (laughs) think about just before Jesus said who she was and what she did. This is from Luke chapter seven, the verse right before Luke chapter eight. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man was a prophet, He would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of these love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said, Simon, do you see this woman? I've come into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wept, wet my, my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven, little loves little. 
And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say to themselves, who is this who forgives sins? See, Jesus loved this woman. Jesus loved her like he loves all of us. And forgiveness poured out from the Father. Forgiveness poured out from the Father through the Son. And so this grateful, contributing life, she had something to give because she was so blessed. You know, that's the case for all of us. You have something to give because you've been so blessed. The only thing you can give is what you've been given. Someone said the other day, what if you woke up this morning and you only had the things that you thanked God for yesterday? (laughs) How would you do? How grateful are you for the life God has given, for the forgiveness God has given, for the evil he has taken out of your life? He has taken away from your psyche, away from your heart, away from your soul. These women were supporting because they were so excited about what God had done. Let's talk about the end of Mary's life. She was grateful, but she was also grieving. You know, she's called the last one at the cross and the first one at the tomb. Okay? Let's talk about the cross for a minute because this picture of Mary, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and who? Mary Magdalene. You don't see Peter. You don't see John. You don't see the disciples. Who do you see at the feet of the cross as the nails go in, as the spear goes in? You see the women, particularly Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene must have made her so courageous that even in the midst of this grief to see her Lord crucified, to see him sacrificed, she um, is, is watching what happens. I'm not sure it's in your, in your handout there, but look at Matthew 27 for a minute. Many women were there watching from a distance. They'd followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph and Mary and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. Mary had a front row seat at the place where her sins were indeed forgiven, where Jesus's blood was poured out for her and for us. She had the opportunity to see what Jesus called the uh, forgiveness of sins. As he declared it while she was with him, he paid for it on the cross. You need to know today, your sins, my sins, Mary's sins are forgiven through the blood that was poured out on Calvary. He became the sacrifice for our sins. Another... uh, aspect of Mary. She was grateful. She was grieving, but then her grieving turns to joy. You know why? She's the first one at the tomb. She's the first one back before day even breaks, while it's still dark out on Sunday morning. She comes from the cross Saturday, a sad day to Sunday, the the third day 
Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, we call him John, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. At this point, she just thinks the body's been stolen. (laughs) She's upset. She's concerned. But do you notice that she's the first one there? The Bible points out that she's going to minister to the killed, destroyed body of Jesus, that she's there to anoint him. We would say embalm him, get him ready for uh, burial. She is not yet connected the fact that this Lord is all now on the third day rising from the dead. So I skip forward to verse 15. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? She's crying, it's dark. You know, she thinks Jesus is <laughs> the gardener. She thinks he's the tender of the, uh, uh, of the cemetery. She said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Then Jesus says to her the same thing we're focusing on today, the same thing he said in the hallway in the video, Mary. He calls her by name. What does it say? Mary. <laughs> he calls out to her. She turned toward him and cried out back in Aramaic, Rabboni, teacher, Lord, master, savior, the one who has forgiven my sins and brought me to a relationship with God, the one who has cast out demons from my life and given me my life back, the one who said, this way you're going is not healthy for you. It is not for you. And said, I have a better plan. I have something in store, the teacher and the Lord of her life. She became glad hearted. She became rejoicing. She began jumping up and down. She went back to the disciples. In fact, Jesus commissioned her. And I want to end with this. (laughs) She ends up with a gospel sharing heart because Jesus says to her, I want you to go back and tell the guys to tell the men, tell the boys that I have raised from the dead. Tell them that the resurrection I predicted has indeed happened. She becomes <laughs> the apostle to the apostles. You know, isn't it interesting that God would choose a woman, an immoral woman, a woman with a shady background, a woman that had been demon possessed at one time to be the first bearer of the greatest news that any of us could ever give or receive, the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, where we base all of our faith and our trust because not only did he hang on the cross and die for our sins, he was buried in a tomb and on the third day to prove his victory over sin, hell, death, and the grave, he raised from the dead. That's the gospel sharing heart where Mary (laughs) tells the disciples, I have seen the Lord. I have witnessed the resurrection. I proclaim to you, Jesus is alive. He, she told him and them these things so that they would hear the gospel. This apostle to the apostles, this first evangelist, this one who would be unlikely. I love the fact that Jesus cared and, and took the most unlikely individuals and used them to the maximum. He shows all of us that he's breaking the mold 
you may feel like you're not worthy, <laughs> put yourself in that category and realize God considers you worthy. You might feel like you're not uh, available for him. He says just the opposite. He can and will use anyone. If he's going to do an important announcement like his resurrection with a woman like this, Jesus wants to change your destiny as well. See, he not only delivered her from her demons, <laughs> he delivered her to her destiny, to what he had planned for her. Do you realize that's the case for all of us? Mary Magdalene becomes a picture that we can all utilize, an example for all of us to say there's nobody outside the scope of God's willingness to number one, forgive, to number two, heal, and for number three, to use in ministry, to share the gospel, to share the good news of Jesus with them as well. You need to know today that you are fully known by God. Just like he said, Mary of Magdalene, and that kind of uh, became a badge of honor in a lot of ways. What she had come from, he knows your background. He knows what you've come from. And he wants to use even what you've come from to be a badge of grace and honor, a trophy of what he can do and how he can deliver and how he can, can, can provide. Fill in the blank. What is it for you that he has done? The one who had seven demons, that was Mary's claim to fame. Maybe for you, it's the, the, the one who lied, the one who was unfaithful, the one who left her husband, the one who forgot about the, the, the goodness of God. What, what would it be for you? Just note, it doesn't matter. God wants to take all of those former things and redeem them. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You need to know today that you have the potential of being completely, utterly forgiven for everything that you've ever done. God doesn't hold certain things against you. He loves to forgive and to cleanse and to give you his grace. You have great value in the sight of God. No one is outside the scope of God's grace, his mercy. Let's take some time and pray right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. Lord, you are so good to us. You give us so many um, gifts. You give us so much to be grateful for. Lord, as we look today at this picture of Mary, as we see some of the imagined backstory for her life, it inspires us and encourages us to never let our own lives hold us back, not, not to let our backgrounds or our former lives keep us away from you. Instead, just the opposite, Lord. We pray today that you would infuse in our lives, deeply impress on us that the love that you have for us is regardless of our background, regardless of what we've done. Your love extends beyond all of that. Thank you, Heavenly Father for giving us this picture of your grace in our lives. Thank you for the resurrection of Jesus that proved his power over sin, over hell, over death and the grave. Thank you for the picture of Jesus cleansing this woman and cleansing us. Thank you for the demon possession that you 
extricate from our lives and bring instead Holy Spirit possession. We celebrate that. We look forward to that. We surrender to that today. We tell you again, Lord, thank you for knowing our name, for calling us by name. Thank you in Jesus' name.